Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. My name is Liz, and I will be your host. I am so excited to have you here today just because we had a really awesome amount of feedback in terms of the last episode with Steph from Funship Blog. It was really cool to be able to open up really about being alcohol-free for the past six months and kind of sharing both Steph and my journey with it. And so I guess I just wanted to take today to open up a bit more about my journey and answer some questions that I received on Instagram. So I just wanted to start by saying that I am definitely by no means an expert on sobriety. While I did consider myself sober for the six months that I was alcohol-free, I do want to say and kind of share that in calling myself sober and kind of labeling myself with that, it did bring a lot of really questionable controversy along with it. And I do know that a lot of people struggle with alcohol on a totally different, much more massive level than I did. And I realized that even in making that statement that it makes it seem like I quote unquote had a problem. And it was interesting because a lot of the people around me kind of looked at my decision to be sober as, you know, you didn't have a problem with alcohol. You're not an alcoholic. And I mean, who is that? Who are they to kind of tell you what is and isn't your problem? And just the fact that I kind of had to re-explain over and over why I was abstaining from alcohol was kind of an issue in itself. And I mean, I guess I can see why people were quite shocked to um, hear that I wasn't drinking. And I will go into that in a bit, but I definitely wasn't planning on abstaining from alcohol or taking a break from alcohol in 2020 by any means. I actually never thought that I would. I remember even in like January, February of this year, a lot of my friends were doing dry January and I remember remember telling my friends at this concert early February, I don't know how you did dry January. There's just no way that I could go an entire month without alcohol. And that's that's kind of when I realized how much I heavily relied on it. And I think it's just, it's kind of a scary thing um, that that didn't scare me in that moment. But now when I'm looking back after these six months of taking a break, that you can be so warped up into that lifestyle and that culture of drinking that you don't see that as an issue. So this whole drinking culture basically began for me in high school and it wasn't at the first high school that I went to, it was actually at the second one. I've touched on this in previous episodes, but essentially I had to make a big move from a place that I had called home for 10 years to a brand new state with brand new people. And so it kind of made sense that I had gotten into drinking at that point because I didn't really know how else to fit in. Prior to this, I was super focused in terms terms of school and sports, I was just a very disciplined teenager and drinking just never really crossed my mind. But then when I moved to this small town, I genuinely just didn't really know how to fit in because it felt like everyone had grown up together and here I was kind of intruding on that. So fast forward to my first prom experience and I was going stag. Um, Fun fact that I've mentioned before, I've never been asked to a school dance except for my senior prom, but this guy was forced to ask me, so I don't really count that. Um, So essentially, I was going to this junior prom all alone, and I had some girlfriends to go with, but it's still, it's not a fun feeling just to not feel wanted, and I think that that was just kind of the age where I was starting to, you know, like boys, and I had previously had a boyfriend, and so it just wasn't a fun feeling, and so I was really quite keen to get to this after party, and genuinely, 
when I share this story, it's one of the most embarrassing stories because it's such a high school story. I basically got to this party and took about five shots of Malibu, which to this day, honestly, just makes me want to vomit because I cannot stand the smell or the taste. But basically, I took five shots, not back to back, but pretty close to each other. And I essentially blacked out. And it wasn't just like a cute blackout where your friends take you home and everything's fine. No, I, I, my friend tried to put me in her bed and tried to help me undress and just sleep at this house of the house party. But then her boyfriend came in, saw that I was in their bed, obviously probably wanted to have sex. So he picked me up, took me to the bathroom and put me in the bathtub. And I was legitimately so blacked out that I could not move my body or function properly. And for the rest of the night, I kid you not, people just came in and out to use the restroom and would genuinely be like shocked when they saw me because they didn't see me when they first came in. And I just don't think that you're really ever expecting someone to be in the bathtub asleep. And it was so weird because I was like kind of awake in my blackout. Like I could hear the people that were coming in and then I would hear like their shriek or their shock when they saw me, but I couldn't move my body because I was just so blacked out. And then I kid you not for that whole week following, I got so much crap about being the bathtub girl and I literally had that nickname and it was just so mortifying but obviously not mortifying enough for me to stop drinking. And then fast forward to my college experience, things just started to get even worse. And I think that I just really started to push and shove down all of my problems with alcohol. I think that I quickly learned how readily available alcohol was as a not only a girl, but a girl in a sorority. And so any issues that I had, any tests or quizzes that I failed, any bad days that I had, I would suppress with alcohol. And I know that a lot of you may be listening to this and thinking, well, yeah, I do that too. Isn't that normal? And your normal may be a lot different from mine, just in the sense that there was like one particular night where I just had the worst day and I just really wanted to go out. That was my way of kind of coping with my day. And I remember like none of my friends wanted to go out with me. And when I say go out, I was like 19. So this was like going out in the Greek system and none of my friends would go out with me. And I was still so keen to go out because I just wanted to suppress these feelings and I remember getting to this frat and I knew a bunch of guys there and so they were giving me alcohol and I just started tallying and keeping tallies of shots that I was taking on my arm. It wasn't my birthday. It wasn't anyone's birthday. We weren't celebrating anything. I was genuinely just anxious and depressed and just wanting to eliminate these feelings entirely. And the next thing that I know, I wake up the next day, not only with vomit in my hair, I'm, I wake up in my bunk somehow. I don't remember how I got there. And I look over at my arm and I count 22 tallies. So now you might be saying, okay, Liz, you know, you had that one really bad experience and that was it. No, I, it got like so much worse and it was fueled by so many different quote-unquote social events. And anyone that's been in the 
Greek system knows what I'm talking about when you go to formals or gravidates, especially at my university. I know that it's kind of a West Coast thing that the goal between you and your date was basically to split a fifth of alcohol. And I'm talking like hard A, vodka, rum, whiskey, gin, whatever. And if my math is correct, that gives each person about nine to 10 shots. That's just how that was so normalized and no one really said anything about it. And this was something that would happen in the evenings on weekends. And then in addition to this, we would have game days. And I spoke about this with Steph in a previous episode. And this was just so such a toxic culture because we would literally start drinking at like eight or 9am fraternity boys would start even earlier. And it's just legitimately like starting drinking six hours before a game. And I remember one particular game day that I just got so blackout drunk. And like, this was mostly because you would go from frat to frat and you would be drinking at each frat. But then I would have like a little water bottle of just straight vodka. And I would be taking sips of this in case I didn't have any drinks that I could find at the next frat that I went to. I was always prepared. And so it was just so, this culture was just so normalized for four years of my life. I thought it was just normal that, you know, you spend your weekends getting blackout drunk with your friends and that it's just a funny thing and this is how you'll come up with your college memories and funny stories. But in hindsight, I really think that it had so much damage on my life and kind of in terms of like my cognitive functioning. Like I have some of the worst short-term memory and I know that we all forget things from time to time, but I kid you not, like I cannot remember like events in my past or birthdays sometimes and just simple things at work that kind of really make me embarrassed about my ability to remember things that kind of make me embarrassed in front of my boss. And so it's just things like that that I truly think that in this period of not drinking that I really think are due to the fact that I would black out so often for four years of my life in college. And Steph actually released something on her Instagram at Funship Blog that kind of had to do with alcohol and its interaction with your brain. So she said that alcohol interrupts the activity of neurotransmitters that can affect your mood, i.e. serotonin and endorphins. And she did this post kind of more in relation to hangover anxiety or anxiety, but just in that same sense that alcohol really has such a massive impact on your body that a lot of us just don't really think about. And kind of going back to what I was saying earlier in terms of how I would use alcohol throughout college to suppress a lot of these negative feelings, it really did not ever give me the chance to really learn how to cope with those feelings. And that was really problematic because I went through really massive traumatic things like sexual assault in college. And while I did win my case and it was a really big triumph for me, a lot of that year during that case was spent drinking and kind of trying to drink and forget what happened, especially when it all first happened. I really love this post that Tori from the Retired Party Girl on Instagram shared, and she basically did a poll asking people to describe themselves between who drunk you is and who sober you is, and I really resonated with it. So some of these words to describe drunk you were insecure, a stranger, careless, hiding, destructive, lifeless, sad, pathetic, toxic, pretentious, fake, 
angry and bitter. And genuinely, I had to be sat down at one point in my college experience by my friends to kind of help me reevaluate my alcoholism and my drinking because there were definitely points and nights where I just became a very vicious, angry person on alcohol. And this had a lot to do with just the fact that I'm not a very good communicator in terms of telling people how I feel about things in the moment. And I am kind of that person that unfortunately likes to keep things pent up and to myself. And I know that I'm trying to become better at that, but just that habit fueled with alcohol was just such a bad toxic combination. In Tori's post, she then went on to share the words that people use to describe sober them. And these words were confident, present, energetic, fulfilled, aware, living, goal-oriented, calm, happy, loving, alive, and reliable. And I think that word alive just really resonated very strongly. I mean, all of those words really did, but I think just being more alive and in the moment and being able to really appreciate people and be present within events and things that you attend. I think that for so long, I would really just use alcohol as a crutch to just get me through things and just get me to the next weekend or get me to the next thing. And it never really truly allowed me to really face my feelings. And that's one of the major reasons that I really wanted to take a break from drinking as well is that I was going through quite a lot in the beginning of quarantine just in terms of moving to a different country, back from a different country, and just a lot of personal things that I really did not kind of face for a good year or so. And so what I really experienced in like the first month or so of not drinking was just, wow, emotions and I need to deal with them and I actually need to feel them and I can't just go make myself a drink. And I think that that's kind of the beauty though of it is that I I can confidently say at this point that I am very aware and very comfortable, I guess, with my feelings and I really allow myself to feel things a lot more when things happen and I allow myself to be sad when previously it was just always, okay, time for alcohol, time for a drink, time for a happy hour. And it's, I think it's really easy to mask, you know, these things that you go through. And it's really easy to post on Instagram about going to these happy hours. And internally, you really could be suffering and you really could be sad. But, you know, it's really easy to mask these things and to cover them and coat them with alcohol. And I did for so long. And I just think that living that way was not truly living. I've thought back to so many different events or just people that I've dated in the past and thought about the type of person that I was whenever I'd go out with them or go on dates with them. I was just always trying to show off my drinking for some reason. But in the end, I don't feel like that person ever really got to know who I truly was because I was always just blacking out and just getting so, so incredibly drunk that I wasn't even me anymore. And I think I've, you know, a lot of people are saying in quarantine, you know, I'm such a different person than who I was before quarantine. And genuinely, I am so different. I mean, aside from the hair thing, I definitely had some orange hair going before quarantine. But at the end of February, I specifically remember just kind of leading up to this move from London back to the US, which if you keep up with Instagram, I'm actually going to be doing the move back to London. Um, but 
in that kind of period of uncertainty, and I think that this is when my alcoholism really got the best of me, I was actually like buying little bottles of gin with my groceries in February. And it was really sad because February for me is such a big month in terms of it's the month that I was sexually assaulted on February 6th. And so that's a really meaningful day for me in terms of just looking back at how far I've come. It's also my birthday month. It's just February means so much to me. And this year, February was so depressing and I just don't remember very much of it because I was buying gin and just drinking gin almost every night just to try and calm my anxiety. And that was like legitimately the only way that I could get myself to sleep. And it was just when it gets to the point of, you know, not telling your friends and not telling people about just how much you're drinking is kind of when it should start to be concerning. And I'll, I mean, I'll be honest, I I wasn't concerned about it then. I joked about it and I thought it was funny. And I genuinely thought that it was helping my anxiety, but really it was just like throwing gas on a flame. And at this point, I honestly, the past six months have gotten so many questions from friends and like family around, you know, when are you going to start drinking again? And I think for me, just in terms of everything that I've learned in these six months and seeing who I am without alcohol, I'm not in any rush to go back to it. I think that my goal is to really practice moderation more. And I know that that can be hard for a lot of people. So this is definitely going to be something for me that'll be like trial and error. This is just something that's a personal choice and that I think that I would like to try and go ahead with. But that being said, I do believe that it would be very hard for me to just fall back into my alcoholic tendencies. Having learned so much about just how much alcohol affects your body and just having gone through these past six months of just really strong productivity and goal setting and achieving and just a lot of mindset changes. Before I end the episode, I did just want to answer a few questions that I received on Instagram. A lot of them kind of had the same theme. So the first one was, if you don't mind me asking, do you go to any meetings? And I think that by this question, it meant like AA meetings and no, I never did. And I know that people will go to things like therapy to try and help in this journey. And I think that that's a really great thing. And as someone that's gone to therapy before in the past, I am definitely a true believer in therapy. For me though, I actually really heavily relied on just prayer and time with God. So being a Christian, this was a very big spiritual growth period for me in the past six months and I know that I haven't been too open about my spiritual background in Christianity but this really was kind of a it all started with God kind of asking me to take a break from alcohol and this happened like the day after Easter I was genuinely so lazy that I did not give anything up for Lent and so this was something that I just really felt like God was calling on me to take a break from and just the amount of growth that I've been able to experience not only in my own life but just in my relationship with God has been amazing and so yeah it was it was more of just you know spending time in prayer and really just practicing gratitude every morning I know that I've mentioned before that I do a gratitude journal at the beginning of and end of my day and I truly also believe that that's really helped in just being slower to anger and just being faster to forgive people and just yeah just having a kind and 
and spiritual heart. And I only want to do one more just because I'm about to hit 20 minutes on this podcast, but it says, it took me a long time to even talk to my closest friends about my sobriety. They've all been very supportive, but don't really understand what it's like. And I totally get this. It is kind of a taboo topic to be talking to your friends about, especially if you're in the same age group as me, kind of like in your early 20s, where people are still kind of in that early period of drinking and going out and, you know, going to happy hours and whatnot. So Tori from the Retired Party Girl, and I know that I'm referencing her a lot in this episode, but she does actually have a lot of really great informational and learning posts if you're even curious about sobriety. So she made a post around five ways you can support your sober friend, even if you yourself are not sober. So the first is to help celebrate their sober milestones. So obviously no one expects you to remember the day that they decided to stop drinking, but if you know that a friend is celebrating a sober milestone, even just sending a text of encouragement or writing a note or planning a celebration is just really nice. Number two is to plan events that don't revolve around drinking. And this is so important just because it's, I guess it's nice just to not have every single hangout revolve around bar hopping or going to the club. And I think just even being alcohol free for six months has really helped me realize that you actually don't need to drink to have a good time. And I know that that sounds so cliche, but anyone that's taken a break from alcohol knows that. And so number three is to ask them about their sobriety. So this is really key because sobriety is such a major and exciting transition. So make sure to ask them about how it is and if it's likely that they want to share their joy and struggles with you. It's a really kind of rocky journey. It's not perfect for anyone and it definitely wasn't perfect for me. But I think just investing interest and showing that you're interested in their sobriety is just really nice. So number four is probably my favorite. Don't assume anything about your sober friend. So don't assume that being sober makes them judgmental or boring. If you have a question about their journey or what they're comfortable with, just ask, don't assume. And I think this was so annoying when I was telling some people that I wasn't drinking or that I was choosing to abstain from alcohol. It was almost like it was an instantaneous, oh, well then what are you going to do? What are you going to do to have fun? What are you going to do when everyone else is drinking? And it's not like it, you know, sucks the fun out of you. And I know that a lot of us have experiences where we really use alcohol to try and be the life of the party, but this doesn't mean that you are suddenly this super boring and just not fun person that never wants to go out ever again. I think I still had a lot of experiences where I was able to go and have a fun time with friends, but instead of getting a drink at dinner, I would just get a mocktail or just some sort of a tonic and lime sort of drink. And honestly, sometimes that's okay and it's okay to go and take a walk at the park instead of going to bars. And last but not least, number five is to grow with them. Sobriety is known to cause rapid positive growth and a general lifestyle change, so allow your sober friend to grow in this new journey and grow alongside them as they figure out their true selves. And I mean, as I mentioned before, I definitely am a much different person now that I've spent six months alcohol-free. But like I said, I just think that this journey was so necessary for me to spend six months without alcohol just to not only learn more about myself and grow more, but now I've just got such a better head on for if and when I do go back to drinking alcohol. And even when I say drinking alcohol, I think it's going to be like honestly such a moderated once a week type of thing, if anything. And I think that alcohol for me really has been such a negative thing in my life for so long that I truly want to look at it now as a positive thing. And just, you know, if there's a celebration, if I get a job, if a friend's birthday is happening, I think I'm going to allow myself 
myself to have that one drink, but it's going to be because I'm celebrating someone or I'm celebrating something and it's no longer going to be because I'm suppressing my issues and my feelings and things that I don't want to face. In saying that, I definitely do not want to promote that alcohol is a good thing by any means. As I've mentioned in this episode multiple numerous times, it is very bad for your body, very bad for your memory, but I think for me, as I said, it is a personal choice that I will be going back and just kind of moderating alcohol more so. And I definitely want to be open about that journey and just share more, but I definitely also want to practice just periods and breaks from alcohol in my, you know, moderation. I think it's important to spend time without toxic things. And so I think, especially just thinking in the realm of my health, of my body, I just think it's going to be really healthy to, you know, take breaks in periods when I am not drinking as well. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me. I am Atlas Newcomer on Instagram and Twitter. And then the podcast has an Instagram. It's just at Resiliency and Running. But I do hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.